My name is Penny Lacasso and I am the world's first happiness hacker. Imagine a world where human happiness and well-being drove our decision making. A world where technology was used to amplify human potential rather than replace it. The Human First podcast is designed to encourage you to explore your curiosity about the future of humanity. Our conversations are focused on building skill in intentional adaptability, creating the foundation to positively influence the future for yourself, but also for others. Join me here each week as we put humans first. Blake Bowden, welcome to the Human First podcast. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. You're a bit of a, um, a unique guest uh, for me because I so like many. That. I know, and it's really interesting because it's made me, um, through connecting with you and getting to know you, it's made me think much more broadly about the sorts of people that we speak to and the diversity of those people in terms of the different perspectives they can share with us in the context of what's going on. So thanks for making the time. Well, very my my pleasure to be here. The first question I always ask everyone, um, and I love it because it makes people take pause, is tell us who you are as a human being. Oh, it does make you take pause, doesn't it, as a human being? I'm so used to um, being on, you know, press tours and stuff like that and talking about myself as as purely an actor or as, an, or as a character. So, yeah, it's definitely a, a left-of-field question. Um I guess as a human being, I have always been uh, drawn to things that are artistic ever since I was a kid. So I was always interested in music and in movies and in plays. I I was very fortunate to have a family who supported that and, and used to take me and my sister to so many different stage shows and stuff like that. So I guess as a human, I've always been drawn to... I don't know, an, an artistic expression of what it means to be human. So I've always found it far more interesting when people sing about their emotions or um, act out, you know, their feelings and thoughts uh, in front of me, whether that's on screen or through music or on stage. Um, so I don't know. I guess I would answer that question that I, as a human being, I am someone who is drawn to people who express themselves through the arts. Is that a good response to that question? There is no such thing. It's, it's what <laughs> you know, like it is. It's beautiful because it's it, again, it's something that's never come up when I've asked this question. And I think um, what I'm really keen to talk about today is, you know, why the arts are so important in terms of how we express ourselves, but equally in terms of well, equally in terms of how we connect to one of another, but also in terms of creativity and innovation. And how that translates into, you know, the everyday um, lives and workplaces that we have. Because there is a connection. Oh, totally. There's absolutely a connection. So before we get into that, the next question is kind of an extension of the first question. So if that's how you define yourself as a human being, what does it actually mean to you to be human? Because everyone answers this question differently, but there's always some common threads, which I think is interesting. What does it mean to be human? I think... Uh, it's funny because we were talking about this before. I think being social, I think that's what it means to be human. And I think that is connection with, of course, our family and our friends, but also with uh, casual acquaintances that we meet at the coffee shop when we're waiting for our coffee in line. And I think that 
that's what I think it means to be human is to connect to other people. And an extension of that is also then to care for other people and whether that is through looking after family, looking after children, but also to be there for a friend when they need someone to, to call or they just need someone to have dinner with or to have a laugh with or to have a drink with. So I think that's what it means to be human. And again, I think that does tie back into, you know, my what draws me to the arts because I think that, you know, the arts is all about connection and about sharing those connections uh, through artistic means but also just through being in a space with other people. Yeah, I mean, I think connection is just such a strong theme that comes through whenever I ask this question. And mm. it's funny how your answers to these questions, if you ever sort of consider them again in the future after our conversation, they constantly change and evolve. Yeah, right. I'm sure I will think about these things. I can honestly say no one has ever asked me these. Because <laughs> <laughs> I kind of, I think about, I mean, I, I've been pondering these questions for a while now and I think they're more pertinent than ever in the context of the current environment. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah, connection from well, not connection. Human being human in terms of what I hear and what I feel is being connected to self, being connected to others, and being connected to the environment around you. And mm. you know, I love the way that you you just kind of built on that for me. So thanks. <laughs> no worries. I think it is that I think that you know, if we had done this podcast two months ago, I probably would have answered it. You're right, very differently. I mean, this entire pause that we're having as humanity at the moment mm. is has kind of forced us all to kind of focus on those things and I think that is beautiful so many of my friends are posting about how it's actually after you know all the kind of fear has been subsiding over the last couple of weeks what they're actually finding is that connection of being at home with their children or with their partner and you know cooking with each other more and doing activities together how it has actually been really lovely for them and you know that connection is what that's all about oh i think there's definitely some beautiful silver linings in all of this so you know mm -hmm. I, yeah i'm just hoping they carry through so i think your situation if we kind of um unpack you know where we're at at the moment with covid19 and the implications your situation's fascinating because you know what you were doing sort of a month ago and where you were at and where you are at now is is fundamentally different so Paint a picture for us of your current reality and how that's changed since COVID-19 for you. Well, look, my current reality is, as I'm sure it is for many people, it's being um, at home in my apartment in Bondi in Sydney, um, which I'm very fortunate. It's a very nice place to live and it's a very sunny apartment with a lovely outlook, so I'm very, very fortunate. But... And I'm pretty much, you know, I am, I've done a bit of gardening and we've got lovely pot plants everywhere. I've reorganized every single drawer in the house. And, you know, I, you know, my partner and I, we joke that we've become grocery people, which we never were before. You know, I'm, I'm basically cooking three meals at home every day. Um, you know, not, I, I'm used to eating out all the time and that kind of stuff, but, you know, I'm very much at home at the moment. Um, and that's very different to where I was even only five weeks ago. So five weeks ago, I was in your apartment and uh -huh. you were in New Zealand. <laughs> I was in New Zealand. Um, and I've actually, I've been away from this home, which is my home. It is my home base. And I'm, as, a, as an actor, I'm actually very lucky to have a home base because many actors don't. Um, mm. But I've been away from this for the better part of three and a half years touring. So you were kind of at the end of your tour in New Zealand with the leading Book of Mormon? 
Yes, that's right. So I was playing uh, a role called Elder Price in uh, a show called The Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon, for those who don't know, is a, a big Broadway American musical written by uh, the guys who wrote, who wrote South Park. Um, so it's a very big, successful show, the biggest show ever done. It's very funny, um, very hard work for, for us as the actors in the show. It's uh, incredibly high energy. I, I don't leave, I didn't leave the stage for uh, almost two and a half hours, um, which was incredibly taxing and incredibly challenging, but also the best thing that has ever happened to me in my career because it honestly is the role of a lifetime in the show of a lifetime. And five weeks ago, we were coming towards the tail end of our three and a half year run throughout Australia um, and New Zealand and New Zealand was our last stop. And so I always say this, I've been saying this a lot to a lot of my friends that, you know, as actors on that particular show, we are some of the luckier ones um, Mm. out of this situation because of many things. But one of the main things was we were closing in six weeks. So our run was only cut short by six weeks after three and a half years. Um, And in Australia, to be on a a piece of commercial theatre for three and a half years is pretty much unheard of. So it was incredibly fortunate for all of us on that show. And there was a lot of us who were at the end of that show, had started at the very beginning, but three and a half years, because we, you know, we all know how fortunate we were to be on a project for that long. And so when COVID hit, although it was a shock for us as well, because we did think we were kind of safe in New Zealand, um, as the rest of the world seemed to be crumbling around us, but even the shock that it was when we did finally um, close, we were only six weeks out from the end. So actually this week would have been, would have been our final week, the beginning of our final week. Um, so we definitely were some of the lucky ones. So talk to me in terms of, you know, obviously you've got a lot of friends in the arts industry. Talk to us a little bit about the impact, like how, as in the, the impact on individuals. I mean, obviously things have been shut down, but kind of what are, what are the conversations around for this industry? Because, you know, it's not, it's not a short-term impact in the context of so much of this industry is about bringing people together and large groups of people together. Totally. We we have been saying, like amongst all of my friends and colleagues, that, you know, the arts were some of the first industries hit by this because of obviously the first things to go um, in all this um, social restriction stuff was large, you know, mass large gatherings. And of course, most of my friends work in commercial theatre uh, where it's always over 500 people in a venue at any one time. And so all of that stuff got shut down very quickly. And we're hypothesizing at this point, as everyone is, I'm sure, but we kind of feel like we'll be one of the last industries to come back as well for that very reason. And some of the things that I've kind of, a lot of the reading I've been doing and talking that I've been doing is that some of the reasons for that is, a, the large gathering thing, obviously, like this, that's going to be one of the last things to come back online, essentially. Also, most of our audience are, uh, older um, mm. people so they are the people most affected by this virus so they're going to be the least willing to enter into a room of 2,000 people um, to sit through a two and a half hour musical or play and also you know the financial implications as well when you're working in commercial theatre like I am it's very expensive to run those productions they employ a lot of people it's it's not just the actors you see on stage but it's the, the hair and makeup people the backstage people the the props people, the stage management, you know, the marketing people, all that. It's a huge industry and it supports a lot of people. But to put those shows on on that size, it costs a lot of money. So therefore, ticket prices are really high. And, you know, obviously a lot of people who usually come to theatre 
have lost their jobs or have lost a lot of money and will continue to during this whole COVID uh, period. And so, of course, they're going to be potentially less willing to come and spend, you know, $100, $150, $200 on a ticket to see a piece of theatre in the next little while. And so, you know, we're, we're all pretty... We're all pretty scared about that, to be honest, because there is no time frame for us and um, there's no time frame for anyone. But we kind of feel like our industry may be one of the last ones to, to surface from this. So with that in mind, I mean, I talk a, a lot of the work that I do is in the space of um, building skill in, in what we term intentional adaptability, which is really about bringing consciousness and meaning to the forefront of the decisions that you make. So it's not about actually speeding up. It's about slowing down and, you know, building that skill in making intentional change in complex and uncertain environments. And, I mean, obviously you've gone through a significant change like many people in the last five weeks. How are you, you know, how are you intentionally adapting to this new normal and kind of making the most of a situation, like you say, where who knows when when the art will come back online? Look, it's for me personally, after three and a half years on such a massive project, the pause right now is actually nice. And I'm trying to, I was saying to some friends uh, only a couple of nights ago that I'm trying to lean into that at the moment because I don't, I haven't had a time to pause recently. So getting to pause right now is actually really nice for me. Um, and I'm trying to take this opportunity to do that. So that is what I am personally trying to do. Of course, my... my... Sorry, you said trying about four times just then. Um, so obviously taking pause, and I don't think you're alone here, which is why I want to dig deeper, um, is, is hard when you've come off the back of being so busy every minute of every day. Well, that's the thing. That is what is the struggle. That's why I, I didn't even realise I said trying that many times. But that is the struggle. I am used to being so busy. Um, I am, I'm used to having, and because of, you know, the last three and a half years was the Book of Mormon. And like I said briefly very earlier, it was a very big show and it was very physically taxing. And so, so much of my day and so much of my week was structured around eating right and exercising and getting enough sleep and making sure my voice was in a, in a position to sing the show. And so, so much of my time was taken up joyously by this job. Um, and so to all of a sudden for that to, I knew it was coming to an end, but I had another six weeks to kind of prepare myself mentally. We just opened in New Zealand too. So that kind of opening period, that, that teching period, as we call it, leading up to opening night is very uh, stressful and intense. So I was kind of in the middle of how, as of the most stress it would be. And so I didn't really get a chance to come out of that to kind of then process what it was going to mean for this show to end um, before the show stopped. So I think that these, you know, these last five weeks has been me trying to slow down and to to feel okay about that, to feel okay about just cooking a meal or going for a walk instead of having my entire focus being on how I'm going to perform this incredibly hard and wonderful show eight times a week for, you know, 2,000 people a night. So what are the things sort of that now bring you joy in the everyday, especially in the context of, um, I mean, you've mentioned cooking um, but in the context of self-isolation and you spoke a little bit around, you know, the, your plants and reorganising draw, uh, drawers, yeah. what are the things that kind of, you know, the, the, the joy in your day? 
Look, to be honest, after so much time away, it's actually been really nice to be home with my partner for so like we've been away from each other for so long and we're so used to doing to doing long distance. So that has been really nice to have a bit of a routine. Um, and you know, he travels a lot for work as well, and his work is more nine to five. So often we're ships in the night. So it's been very it's absolutely joyous to, to actually spend some time with him and to sit down and have a meal with him or to have a drink with him on a Friday night when I'm usually at work. Um, so that has been, I have to say, the, the, the nicest thing. And I think it was the thing that I was looking forward to uh, once Mormon came to an end um, and it's mm. just been sped up. But it's also because he is also not traveling and he doesn't have to go to the office anymore as well. It has also been nice to, for him to actually be around because, you know, the plan was for us to actually be overseas this year for a little bit because he has business to do uh, in the UK. And so he was going to be incredibly busy and he still is busy. He's very fortunate that his work is still continuing, but because he's home, it means that he can, when he stops for 20 minutes to have lunch, we get to have lunch together. Um, and when he comes off his calls or whatever in the evening, then we get to sit down together and actually have a meal and, or watch a movie or play a game of cards or, you know, whatever it is we're going to do for the evening. So that's been, I think that's been particularly beautiful because we don't, we haven't had that time for, for years. So to, to have it now again is, is really nice. So in, I think, and you've kind of, you've spoken about taking pause and, um, and also, you know, that there, there are beautiful sort of silver linings amongst all of the, the chaos that we're kind of experiencing and the uncertainty at the moment. I'm really interested in your perspectives around, obviously, you know, it, it's in these moments of disruption where um, opportunity is found and interested in your perspectives around um, what could innovation look like in the arts sector? to address, you know, this sort of indefinite um, sort of lockdown that we're in and the implications on the arts? You know, have you seen anything or people doing things differently and what does that look like? Massively. So, there, look, I have, I have two, I'm in two minds about this. I'll, I'll tell you what's, what I've seen happening online is, uh, you know, a lot of over the last I would say six, seven years, there has been a real push from our from our managers through producers to create an online presence for yourself. Social media is is not just something I do for enjoyment or just connect with family and friends. It's also something I do as a job. Um, and it's very important these days to have some kind of online presence when you're an actor. And so a lot of my friends are already very active on social media, but the moment this lockdown hit, it, the explosion of people posting these wonderfully creative things online has been through the roof. People are making mini TV series about how to like reupholster chairs or, or how to garden or, or um, how to cook a certain meal. Uh, I've got two wonderful friends, Naomi Price and Luke Kennedy in Brisbane, and it was only, I would say, 10 days into lockdown, even maybe even less, that they created this thing called the Isolate Late Show. So they're doing every Friday night. Um, they're a couple, so they live together. And so they sing songs as like on a late show kind of thing. And then they have people 
record themselves or Zoom calls in and sing songs as well. And they and they have so far had over 150,000 streams over the last three, four weeks they've been doing it or so. And also they're raising money for the Actors Benevolent Fund, which is a charity that we always raise money for, which helps artists in need, in financial need. And they've raised, I think, 60-something thousand dollars for that over the last few weeks. So there's kind of been this incredible explosion of people being incredibly artistic. And now I'm kind of seeing from the producing side as well, because I, I, I have dipped my toe into producing as well. There are lots of wonderful smaller venues like Darlinghurst Theatre Company. Um, I can see QPAC now up in Brisbane as well doing some stuff. I've only seen it, seen it today. A few people are recording things where they're kind of creating online content. So people doing play readings or people doing a 20-minute cabaret, um, them and a, and a pianist. And, and these venues have opened up their spaces to these artists for them to come in and to record these things on their iPhones or whatever it is in order to put up on their social media platforms. And there's all these... You know, these new Instagram pages opening up and, uh, you know, there's local small producers who are now creating little projects about online stuff. So uh, ways to create basically online content, which doesn't require um, people to be in the same room, uh, but it's kind of creating a platform for people to be recording things, whether it is to go into a space like a studio or, or an empty theatre or to do it from the comfort of their living room. I only saw one today, which is about duets so they're connecting people from the west end in london to people on broadway and it's you know well-known artists singing duets from certain musicals and they're doing these from their living room over their iphone and then they just splice the video together and present these duets so it's kind of there has been an absolute explosion of creativity which i am not surprised at at all by you know obviously a bunch of creative people who are sitting around with nothing else to do um, it really has led to a, a, to a wonderful moment of creativity and I don't see it slowing down. If anything, I see it speeding up, um, which has been wonderful. But I do, I do have another thought about this whole thing, if you want to hear it as well. I do, I do. Um, the, the, the flip side of this is the fact that as artists, um, there has been an incredible struggle in the last couple of weeks for us to be recognised um, by the government in their JobKeeper um, Support Act, which is an incredible thing the government has done for all Australians. But unfortunately, so many artists fall short of the criteria because of the casual nature of many of our, our jobs. And the requirements around having to be employed by a single employer for more than 12 months, which just is not the case. Again, I came from a show that... That is the case. I was employed for three and a half years full time. So that's very lucky, but it's incredibly rare. And so most people's contracts do not last more than three to six months. And so it's incredibly difficult for a lot of people to receive support. So a lot of these people fall short of that. And the, the issue that I, not the issue, but the, the thing that gives me pause right now about all this wonderful online content that we're creating is all of these artists using their skills and their you know, years of experience, giving it away for free. And it creates, I'm, I don't know, I don't know whether it does, but I'm fearful it creates an expectation of the public that artists are willing to give away their skills and their talents for free. Um, I don't know where I sit with this. I've had so many conversations with so many people um, about 
where this falls because of course a lot of this stuff is about exposure it's about keeping people interested it's about wetting their appetite the show that i spoke about um, that my friends in queensland isolate late show they're raising money for a charity so that i see is wonderful but unfortunately that the, the amount of time and energy it takes for all of these artists to sit down and record a song or record a video or do a, a parody of something it takes hours and hours of work and skills that have been that have been built up over years and years and years. And now we're just giving these things away for free. Where usually we would ask people to come and pay money to see these things. And that's how we, you know, pay our rent and buy our groceries. And so that's as much as I think it is wonderful. And I think the creativity is inspiring. I also just question whether we as artists have rushed into this too quickly and there hasn't been the proper framework set up in order to actually kind of create some kind of income or some kind of support for the artists who are creating this work. You are the second conversation I've had today where I was completely unaware of um, people or groups of people falling through the cracks in the context of um, the money that the government's giving giving out. And it's it's fascinating to me because, like I say, this is the second conversation. The first conversation I had was asylum seekers. So people who are seeking asylum in Australia and going through the process and have their visa applications in the system who might have been employed by a small business for two, three years and, you know, doing really well have lost their jobs and they've fallen through the cracks. So they can't get in. Of course, in. because they're not residents or citizens. Correct. And then obviously now um, I was not aware as well in terms of all of these people in the arts that are falling through the and cracks. Makes and me it's wonder. not yeah. totally. Who else is falling through the cracks? And the thing about the arts as well... Um, is that it's not just actors and musicians and, and dancers who are falling through the cracks, it's also all the people that the arts also supports. Yeah. So it's the ushers who are casual workers. It's the bar staff who work at, at the bars. It's all of our tech crews. So when I say tech crews, it's all the people who work backstage, who, who move sets or build sets or, you know, the stage managers, the people who do follow spot operating, who operate the follow spots to, you know, the, the spotlight that follows you on stage. All of those people are casual workers. None of them are employed full time because the, the work is so um, casual. But those people all effectively work full time. They may do three three month contracts throughout the year. They make their lives and have some of them for 15, 20 years being working in the art sector behind the scenes. But they cannot claim full time work status. So, you know. For me, it's these people who for the last 20 years have been paying their taxes and then this thing happens and they have no way to get support. Um, and that's really upsetting. Sorry, I feel like I'm getting I'm very, I feel like I'm getting very political and moved about all this stuff, but I've obviously had a lot of time to sit around and think about it in the last five weeks. But I think these are the sort of conversations we need to have. I mean, I have a theory where um, I fundamentally believe that we're kind of coming off the back of this technological age and moving into the human age. You know, it's why I have a podcast called Human First. I think that this is this beautiful moment where we can start to realise that we are all part of one big human family and we need to start acting like it and that's about making sure we take care of those, you know, who are most vulnerable. Like, who are we if we can't do that? Um, and, you know, the, the base, I mean, as an Australian, gosh, you know, I just want for people to have their ba at least their basic human needs met um oh absolutely and if you don't have any that. means for income then you know what does that say about you know how we treat our fellow human it just doesn't mm. 
sit right. So I'm completely comfortable with this conversation. And <laughs> why kind of spotlight? Like you've just given me an idea in terms of how do we like if it's these two industries, what what other people are falling through the cracks, and how do we shine a spotlight on that? Because as I say, I've not heard any of this. Like there's so many of us get around in our daily bubble. Um, who else is is getting nothing out of all of this and is extremely vulnerable as part of the process? Totally, it's a and it's a really valid important question i mean even me i didn't really think about asylum seekers but you're right they may have been here for years yeah contributing contributing not only to society but to the economy and now in their in this moment of great need they're not getting supported by that economy that they have supported and that society that they have supported so yeah i don't know it'd be a very interesting question to kind of i don't think you would have to actually dig very hard to find it no um, unfortunately you know i think that People are out there, and I, and I know that obviously everyone in the arts has been has been up in arms about it and getting online. But there's also only so much you can do from the living room, protesting via your Instagram page. You know, there's only so much you can do. Yeah. So, is there anything else um, in the context of what's going on at the moment, either related to your industry or not, that's got you curious that you kind of just observed and gone, "Oh, that's interesting." Um, that's got me curious. I have wondered, I, I am very fortunate to have four beautiful children and I have kind of been a little bit curious about like parents' relationships to their children now that they are in the same space yeah. for all hours of the day and particularly around education and so many of my friends have kids and have been putting up these posts about how, you know, teachers are superheroes after 30 minutes of trying to homeschool their children. So that has made me curious about what those relationships would look like and, you know, kind of broadening from that as well. I've also been curious about how this is potentially like the most wonderful time for families to have this time. And, I've, you know, when I've gone out on my daily walks, you know, I have seen, you know, my mum and dad and two kids walking around together. And, I, you know, sometimes these kids are teenagers and I do wonder how often they actually do that, you know, in regular day-to-day life pre-COVID. Um, so I'm kind of fascinated by that, about what those relationships look like or whether it actually could be detrimental to those relationships. You know, we all need our space. So I have been quite curious about that. Oh, it can fl- it, it, it's... It's fascinating and I completely agree, you know, I live near a main road opposite a huge parklands and it just astounds me now. Like I used to be the only person at the park morning and night kicking the soccer ball with my son and now we can't even get a spot, you know. Because like, everyone's doing it. Everyone's <laughs> doing it and I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, damn it. And then I'm like, this is magical, like the way it's connecting people and bringing them back to what I think, you know, for many of us are the things that we've forgotten, but the things that truly matter yeah. to us and make us feel good, which is human connection um, and, yeah. you know, investing in those relationships. I mean, look, like you say, yeah. being with the same people day in, day out in what feels like Groundhog Day can certainly have its challenges. Um, but I think what I'm observing and what I'm hearing from so many of my friends like you with families is that it's given back. Um, this this magic of sitting down like you were saying you know with your partner Troy of having a conversation having a meal at the end of the day and all doing that together and I know I'm homeschooling my son and you know trying to do the best that I can whilst juggling a business but it's really magical to be involved in his schoolwork because I just other than yeah I can imagine that yeah like you can actually to actually be like aware of of what he's learning and 
the way that's structured and you know what what interests him I can imagine that being really wonderful and even try just trying to help them like trying to help them work it out and you working it out that yeah I think there there's a magic I'm equally curious and I hope um like I say I hope some of this stuff stays um I think I think it will I think people will realize how how magical it is and you know and the thing that you just said then about like the local park being busy I think as well that people you know may invest more time and energy in their local areas which is also really lovely you know the idea of that of that local shops that you all go down to to get to get your takeaway or get your coffee in the morning and you know the local park where everyone hangs out and you know maybe people will start knowing their neighbors more I mean I've you know obviously I live in an apartment block and there are lots of apartments opposite me and you know I've seen people working out in their living rooms and obviously all with their desks set up doing their work from home and so even that I've been you know saying hi to people across the way who I've never said hi to before because you know? we're sitting in the same balconies every day looking at each other. <laughs> so um, I've got maybe two more questions for you. Um, one question I love to ask is um, what one question do you wish people would ask you that they never do? So what's something you'd love to talk about that kind of just never comes up? Be it about yourself. I think that- I would love people to ask me that they never do. I think, oh, no, I don't, I don't know the answer to that question. That's a really good. That's all right if you don't have an answer. I'm just intrigued because often there's something people are passionate of talking about, but no one, it just never comes up in conversation. And it, I'm intrigued with you because I imagine being, you know, a performer and an actor and especially having the role that you did, you know, a lot of people are probably very interested in you um, because of kind of the, you know, the fact that you're visible highly visible but uh I don't yeah, that, there's anything that that's that's yeah no that's that's very true I mean I I think that I think that sometimes I, I don't know if it's exactly a question but I think that sometimes uh people uh kind of assume that I think the thing that kind of the thing that maybe got on my nerves a little bit uh during you know being part of such a big project is that people kind of saw it, you know, I'm 35 years old and people kind of saw it as the first thing I'd ever done where I had this entire career. You talk about, you know, overnight successes, which took 20 years. And so sometimes I used, I I used to, you know, particularly when I was doing press and stuff like that, you know, it was like, this was the first time they'd ever heard of me, but I've been working hard in the industry, playing lots of great roles for many years. And so I guess maybe, Maybe that is something that I wish maybe people took a little bit more interest in. And that, that doesn't feel like a, an interest or a passion. It feels a little bit more like a, a personal feeling of that. But just that I've, you know, I've worked so hard and for so long on this craft and on this career. And sometimes in the face of such great success, everyone can kind of forget about, um, you know, all the years it took to get to that point. Yeah, and I think it's, I mean, it's important because, again, you know, there would be people um, in the industry, especially, you know, younger people coming through that would be looking, you know, at people like yourself as role models and not having that context, you know, paints a very different mm. picture for them, especially when they're, at, as you say, at the hard slog, not earning much money, just persisting with their craft. I think it's yeah. one thing to... Totally. Well, I always, like, one of the best autobiographies I ever read as a young actor was um, there's a wonderful American opera singer called Renee Fleming, very, 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 very famous, very, very popular. And her autobiography, she writes from the time that she was a kid up until where she first had real success. Um, and the reason she did that is she said that growing up, she always read autobiographies about 
people's lives once they were successful. So about all the wonderful things they did and all the wonderful people they met. And she's like, that's really wonderful. But as a young singer, I didn't understand how you got there. So her book had a real, her autobiography had a real impact on me many years ago because she just spoke about what it took to get there. And that was far more interesting to me than, than just the success. So I guess it's maybe something I've had a little bit of a gripe with for a while, maybe. So the, the last thing I'm going to give you, well, yeah, the last thing I'm going to give you is something a little bit different. And I don't want to cha- I don't want to <laughs> put too much pressure. Yeah, you've been challenging me on many questions, so I love this. <laughs> That's good because I love that because, like I said to you, the, I just think that the perfection is in, um, is in the imperfection. It's in not pre-thinking things and speaking kind of what immediately comes to mind. I find often that's where the truth sits. With. Totally, totally. So I just thought it might be interesting to get you to close us out. If, if I said to you, complete the statement in the future, so you could paint a picture of whatever future you wanted, what would, what would that statement look like? In the future, I professionally would like to produce more um, to help other artists realise their dreams and visions and passions. Um, And on the same note as that, it would be to also produce some of my own work a little bit more and to focus more on my music more than anything else. But personally, in the future, I would like to spend much more time with family and friends um, and not be so consumed by my work, uh, which, to be honest, for the last 10 years has been the trajectory that I needed to be on to get to where I've gotten Um, But I would like that to flip in the future and I would like work to be important to me, but not to take up my entire week um, as it has done in the the very recent past. So I would love that to look like more time with my family and with my friends, um, whether that be, you know, at a wonderful holiday house or, you know, at my home in Sydney or at their places or travelling more. So I think that's what I would like my future to look like. How can people find out more about you? Where would people go? Uh, well, my Instagram, um, Blake Bowden, you can look me up there. I'm, I'm pretty active on there and I, I share a lot of my life on there. But then I'm also, you know, on my website as well, which is blakebowden.com and I, I, I have some music on iTunes and Spotify as well. So you can just search my name and you should be able to find me and um, see what I'm about artistically anyway. Thank you so much. What a joy. You have certainly broadened my perspectives on the sorts of people I'm now going to reach out to. So thank you for making the time. No, thank you for having me. It was a real joy. Thank you for joining us today on the Human First podcast. If you loved your experience, please take a moment to leave a review on either iTunes or Stitcher and provide us with a rating. If you'd like to access the show notes or learn more about what we're up to in the context of humanizing the future, jump on over to humanfirstpodcast.com. See you next week.